Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat, and we do have a jam-packed show for you. We're going to talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Penguins hiring Jason Spezza, which came to nobody's surprise. Everybody was expecting that. It was more a matter of when and not if and in what role. Uh, but as we learned yesterday, he is going to be the assistant general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll get into that in a little bit. Obviously, the NHL buyout window opens tomorrow, so we'll talk about some of the candidates for the Pittsburgh Penguins that could potentially be on the buyout chopping block. And then we'll finish off the show by talking about somebody in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization that is now a doctor and Dr. Phil, Phil Kessel wins another Stanley Cup. We'll talk about the Vegas Golden Knights in the final segment of the show, but we do want to start by sending our thoughts and prayers to the family of Stan Saverin because, listen, Stan was a true leader and a true legend in not just Pittsburgh sports media, but just in sports media in general. And beyond that, he was a fantastic human uh, and, of course, he passed away earlier this week at the age of 76 years old. One of the voices uh, of our childhood. I, I know personally mm-hmm. for me, there were many nights of my childhood that I was going to bed or getting ready for bed uh, to the sound of Stan Savern talking on, you know, whether it be FSNs, Fox Sports Pittsburgh, Root Sports, or AT&T Sportsnet, uh, listening to Stan Savern on Penguins post game and, and, and listening to his voice. And it, it's really always a gut punch when somebody who is highly considered as Stan was uh, passes away but um, obviously a great life and a great career uh, and a fantastic human in Stan Savern so uh, Horwood I'll give you the floor here for a couple seconds a couple minutes to talk uh, about the passing of Stan Savern no yeah you're good it's uh this is one of those losses where without him uh, you kind of realize how different the sports landscape would be in this town uh, he's one of the very few people that may have had uh, actual impact off of you know off of the playing surface, if you if you will. It's um always sad. I can remember him. Can remember someone saying he was going to the hospital. I forget how long ago. Um, and just from that point on, you just never know with certain things. And uh, of course, it's always sad. Everyone's you know going to remember the good times. Going to remember the 
uh, the voice and you know the words. And I think that's one of those things too is that even if, at least especially in this town, there's all these voices that we remember, right? You just hear the voice and you're like, it's that person. Stan Savin's one of those guys, at least for me, that uh, you know some of the stories he was able to tell, some of the things he was able to do. It's uh, there's incredible stuff for. Sports in this town, nothing will be the same as usual, and uh, yeah, he'll just he'll be missed by everyone. Yeah, and I know we're gonna get on with the rest of the show, uh, as as Stan would probably have wanted it for everybody that does his show uh, and, mm-hmm. and mentions him that he would love uh, that everybody goes on and continues to talk Penguins hockey, of course. But uh, before we do that, I just want to say one last time, uh, Stan, love the show. Uh, but let's move over and talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, of course, one of Stan's biggest loves. Uh, the Penguins hired Jason Spezza as assistant general manager Horwat. Not a shock to anybody, is it? No, I don't think so. I think there was doubts, definitely. Like, you know, everyone's saying he might not want to move his family. He might not want to do this. The main police might not even allow it because of contract things. Um, but then the guys in the 32 Thoughts podcast threw out the idea that maybe he could work with Fenway instead and still kind of and have that kind of just be the back door into it. Uh, well, this one was pretty simple. Assistant GM. It's, he is assist, well, the real funny part is he is assistant to nobody right now, technically. Mm-hmm. He is assistant to Kyle Dubas, who's working in the interim. Uh, and all this really means is, too, is for the time being, if the Penguins and Kyle Dubas are looking for a legitimate, true general manager, expect it to be somebody both of them already know and are aware of, and... At least that'd be the odds-odd favorite, right? Someone that they're already familiar with, maybe have already worked with before. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's... I would agree that it probably is going to be, but I wouldn't say that this hiring guarantees that, honestly, because it's not like Jason Spezza is somebody that has worked his way up through the minors or through World Juniors, and he's not somebody that played the game. I mean, Jason Spezza's... What's the word I'm looking for? His reputation precedes him, right? 19 years Mm -hmm. in the NHL. He spent last season as special assistant to the general manager, which at the time was Kyle Dubas, uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And like we said, that playing career precedes him. He's already played uh, with the likes of Sidney Crosby, with Trevor Daly, with Matt Cullen, all three of them, of course, Crosby playing, and the other two not playing, uh, still in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. Uh, So he steps into a role where he has familiar faces, especially Kyle Dubas, who's the president of hockey operations and the interim general manager. So I wouldn't say that that guarantees that, you know, the name that's been thrown out there a lot is Brendan Pridham. Mm -hmm. uh, Also formerly or currently, is he currently? I don't remember. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs organization. I I believe he's still there. Uh, But honestly, this was a matter of when and in what role and not if and Good to see Jason Spezza after only one year in a uh, in front office capacity when he was the, uh, I guess, assistant to the regional manager in Kyle Dubas. He now gets uh, two removed from his title, and he's just assistant general manager for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, you had to figure it was obvious that um, Spezza wanted to go wherever Kyle Dubas went. He resigned the same day that mm-hmm. the Leafs uh, canned Kyle Dubas, and the the Pridham thing is interesting because uh, he, at, at, whenever the Maple Leafs announced that Kyle Dubas was no longer returning, he essentially turned into the GM. He, it was 
Brendan Shanahan telling all the teams of the league, hey, uh, if there are any GM things you need to do, go to Brenham. And then he was never interviewed for the job. Whenever he seemed like he could be an odds-on favorite on like the first two days or so, then they just started talking to other people and was immediately pushed right back down the barrel. And not only did the Leafs hire Bradtree Living as GM, they then hired Shane Doan in a very similar role to what Brendan Pridham does. Now, that doesn't mean Brendan Pridham is out of a job there, but that just means there's more cooks in that kitchen uh, <laughs> that uh, was already trying to clear out a little, a couple of cooks whenever they sent Kyle Dubas packing. So who knows exactly what's going on in Toronto? Who knows where Brendan Pridham stands uh, in that organization? But for the Penguins organization... In uh, Jason Spezza, after just a year in Toronto, it seems like he's going to continue learning here. And I don't know how much learning you could do in a year as assistant to the general manager, but now you are <laughs> AGM, which, again, I mean, it's... Who was just AGM for us? Was that was that Pryor? Uh, I believe Pryor was... Chris Pryor is one of the AGMs. And see, that's one of the things about assistant general managers is that normally you don't really know them. I forgot that ours was Chris Pryor and then one of de- one of them was Chris Pryor at least and then yeah it's also that also depends I mean for a long time it was Jason Botterill there was times where it was Jason Carmanos obviously everybody remembers when Bill Guerin was AGM of the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, but a guy like Chris Pryor I think it's all in who is above them and, and how open they are with the media and with the public. I mean, Jim Rutherford told everybody every everything. So that's why yeah. everybody knew who his AGMs were because it was a very open front office. Ron Hextall came in and, and closed those doors and really didn't let very much out of them. Hence the reason you didn't hear much from Chris Pryor. You didn't know much about Chris Pryor. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a balance of the two. I think obviously it being Jason Spezza, somebody that, like we said earlier, his reputation precedes him. I think that's going to make it already uh, something that people know more about. And I just think Kyle Dubas in general is going to be much more open than Ron Hextall was in his year and a half, two years uh, as Pittsburgh Penguins general manager. And same goes for Brian Burke as president of Hockey Ops. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a much more noticeable role for sure. It'll be, like you mentioned, he's already a namesake, so we have that going for you. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, it'll be seeing what he can do with Dubas uh, from here on in. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun ride. It should be a good ride and beneficial for the Penguins too. And I know this is going to be a conversation that we have multiple times this summer. But do you really believe that Kyle Dubas is going to look to hire a general manager before the start of the season? I don't know. I guess we'll have to see into July because it during that opening press conference he had mentioned. He had mentioned the month of July by name. Mm-hmm. Um, and that possible targets were just still working. And that makes sense. You know, you don't want to step in, especially at this point, because Kyle Dewis was hired officially pretty late in comparison to, you know, what could have been. Because we, we were talking about the Kyle Dubas thing, like, this is dragging on. You know, mm-hmm. we need an answer here. We have to get to work. Um in reality, it was a late hire, and you don't want to then scoop guys out that have been doing work with teams for, you know. Well, it's... not only that, but you need to get permission to speak to them, and a lot of teams at this point are going to say, no, we need them at yeah. the very least for the draft and for free agency because they've already been doing work, and we can't change our plans based on you 
taking your time on your your president of hockey operations hire. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what the point I was trying to get to. I just couldn't think of it. Uh, had an exhausting couple of days, but yes, it's <laughs> it's essentially we, they would need to ask for permission because those guys are already doing work and mm-hmm. uh, are well into their own process. So if they do, maybe those rumors start to fly out in July after the first couple of days of free agency. Yeah, I'm of the belief that he's going to hire a general manager. There would be no reason for him to mention that and also no reason for him to not immediately be named general manager if that wasn't the case. And it might not be because he needs a general manager. I think we all understand that Kyle Dubas would be perfectly capable of handling president of hockey operations slash general manager duties in his own right. And the Penguins obviously have a lot of trust in him, as we talked about on Tuesday with a seven-year contract, but at the same time, does he want to be both president and general manager? We know he wants to have the ultimate veto power, which is what he has, but he could hire a general manager underneath him to handle the more day-to-day tasks that he doesn't have to, and he can sit back, enjoy more time with his family, which I'm sure is something that he wants, enjoy enjoy more time just sitting back and worrying about the big picture. So I would believe that since he brought that up, especially like you mentioned, because of how late he came into the Penguins organization in this process of the offseason, he's going to hire somebody, I would imagine, probably before training camp. I, I would imagine that once the dust settles on free agency and everybody goes into that August 1st little break, Kyle Dubas is probably going to be searching for a general manager because that's when most likely he's going to get the permissions to. And I would assume somebody's hired by the beginning or middle of September when the Penguins are probably going to report to training camp. Yeah, yeah, probably. It, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we the, the fun thing about that late process, though, is then all of a sudden you're looking at the Penguins and you're like, well, this is Kyle Dubas' team now. I mean, we all, we all know that's how it's going to be regardless of who takes over as GM. Um, but this is, it'll be a little bit more obvious that Kyle Dubas picked these players, picked these other front office executives, picked maybe assistant coaches. It's going to be obvious that Kyle Dubas is building this team in his image. Mm-hmm. Um which is why I generally lean towards if he's hiring a GM anytime soon, it's going to be one that he's familiar with uh, and one that Spezza is also familiar with because they're going to share that uh, share that mindset of the team. And I wouldn't rule out somebody that the Penguins organization in general is is just knowledgeable about. I mean, a Jason Botterill, a Jason Carmanos, I wouldn't be surprised if they are back in the running once again uh, once yeah. the Pittsburgh Penguins start interviews again in the fall. If, yeah, if they start interviews. Again, this is not yeah. a guarantee. Uh, this is just my belief personally. Yeah, big if. It's But also keep uh, an eye on those guys that made it late into this one. If if they're not, you know, a little scorned by being told very late that they were taken out of the running. Guys like Matthew Darsh, uh, who am I forgetting that was also there until like the last day. Carmanos, I believe, was there until the last Greeley was day. also there. Greeley, late. that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, we know Tolski was taken out of the running earlier but who knows what the future holds i mean you land any of those names you've already gotten a much improved i mean we already have a much improved front office from what we had before uh but up to the nth degree with a name like that yeah I know we always say on social media, listen, the NHL doesn't work this way where you trade all your bad players for everybody else's good players I don't want to speak out of turn because, of course, he's only been general manager for three weeks. But it seems like as of right now, the Kyle Dubas and Jason Spezza for Ron Hextall and Brian Burke feels a little bit like uh, trading all the bad players for all the good players. But we'll see how everything works out. Again, 
uh, my favorite line from that week was me telling myself, hey, this guy is not going to be judged on his public speaking skills. And as of right now, his public speaking skills and the small reports we've gotten from the NHL scouting combine are all we have to go on for Kyle Dubas's young tenure with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we'll wait to see. Oh, and obviously, of course, the hiring of Jason Spezza, which sparked this entire conversation. But we'll wait and see what happens. Obviously, tomorrow, the first real big deadline for the NHL offseason kicks in. The buyout period opens. We'll talk about which players on the Penguins could be candidates for a buyout starting tomorrow afternoon. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Make sure you bookmark InsideThePenguins.com for all of the latest news and updates on the Pittsburgh Penguins, plus little clips from the Tip of the Iceberg, and of course, very good draft stuff going on from Jacob Huntori. We have the draft coming up here in just about two weeks. Uh, we're going to try to get Jacob on the show next week to talk a little bit about some of the prospects that he's leaning towards the Pittsburgh Penguins having an eye on for the 14th overall selection. Will they make it or will they not make it? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Of course, Kyle Dubas, I believe, as I talked about on Monday's Penguins to go, uh, that he's going to wait to the last second to potentially move that pick. But let's talk a little bit about the buyout window because it opens up tomorrow and runs through June 30th. As of right now, the Penguins still have somebody on the books in their buyout calculator. Three more seasons remain on Jack Johnson's buyout, which was initially initially made on 2020. So we're halfway there with Jack Johnson. He has three years remaining on his buyout clause, $819,000 against the cap for the next three seasons, which is, of course, a deduction from the $1.9 million that he counted against the cap this previous season. So with Jack Johnson on the buyout calculator already, there's four names, Horwat, that I think are probably the only four names that have any any potential to be bought out by the Pittsburgh Penguins over the next coming weeks. The one name is most frequently talked about is Jeff Carter. But as we all know, and some that are listening might not know this, his contract is buyout proof. As of right now, he has one year remaining on his contract at $3.125 million. If the Penguins bought him out tomorrow, he would count for one more year at $3.125 million. So it would be absolutely pointless to buy out Jeff Carter. Yeah, that one's a waste of time. There's nothing we can do about that contract. The only way we get rid of it and get him off the books is trade or a freak LTIR, which that second one's not going to happen. So we have to find a taker. That's the only way to get Jeff Carter's number off the books. Yeah, it it's something that a lot of people keep. I, I keep seeing people say, "Hey, you gotta you gotta buy out Jeff Carter. It's it's pointless. In fact, it hurts you uh, because it, it does nothing to benefit you, and you are wasting three point one two five million dollars." I understand he was not a good player last year, and I understand in all likelihood he probably won't be that much better next season. But it's better to actually utilize $3.125 million than just have it in dead cap with a player that at the very least will win faceoffs. <laughs> hate that. Yeah? I mean, I hate that. I mean, most people uh, don't want to have a player that just wins faceoffs and does nothing else on their team. But regardless, 
that's one player that has come up frequently, and I just just wanted to bring that up first and foremost and to debunk any rumors. Jeff Carter's not getting bought out because there is no positive aspects to take from him getting bought out. But uh, let's move over to another name that has been mentioned very frequently, and that's Mikhail Granlund. Him being bought out actually does do something, actually mm-hmm. does offer some relief for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Currently on his contract, two years at $5 million for Mikhail Granlund. A buyout would last four seasons. Year one would be $833,000, so a lot of savings in year one for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but then it bumps up to $1.833 million in years two through four. Eh, I mean, yeah, the bump kind of hurts going from essentially $1 million to $2 million. Uh, and... The bone, because you do have to look at the other, uh, the other dead cap, the other buyout that is already there, the Jack Johnson number, which is also essentially a million. Um, it hurts to lose three million dollars right off the cuff, uh, going into the twenty four twenty five season. I mean, I, I, we cannot continue to believe the cap is going to go up. By the way, more than a million dollars every year, we can't keep going. Hey, the salary cap is going to go up by five million dollars this year. We don't know that. We don't know that. Until it happens, we should not believe it's going to happen. Let's just be honest. This Gary Bettman's not letting that number go up for whatever reason, uh, for waiting on this, waiting on that, who cares, whatever. Until that number hits and it is official, don't ever believe it's going up. Just assume it's staying at the same or going up by a million. So... That hurts losing $3 million going into 24-25, but that sounds like an issue for two years down the road, doesn't it? Whenever Kyle Dubas has had time to get his hands really all over this team, and now, sure, you have $3 million that you just cannot use. Who cares? You know who's not on the team? Mikhail Granlund. Yeah, and you do save a little over $4 million in year one and a little over $3 million in the following seasons. Um, about the salary cap, of course, it is mainly because the NHL is waiting till the players pay back the escrow uh, that was caused by the COVID shutdowns. But, I mean, the, the salary cap's gone up now. If it goes up the reported $1 million that everybody's expecting it to go up this offseason, it will have been $2 million in total in the past five years. Like, that would be the total. Now, of course... They're projecting massive jumps the following season, even the year after that, maybe upwards to like $10 million from where we're at now, potentially in three years. But again, that's projections. Projections change all the time. You never know what can happen. So don't count on the money that's not there, right? Don't count your chips while you're still at the table. Essentially, for if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know it's going up by at least a million dollars, probably only a million dollars. So this is a very interesting situation because I'm one to say, you know what? Can you really judge Mikhail Granlund after 20 games? And especially if everybody else is saying, hey, they might still want him. If you can't find a trade partner, then yes. Buying out Mikhail Granlund would be a great option. But do you really want Four years of dead cap, including almost $2 million for the pack, the back three. I understand it's not the Minnesota Wild, who I believe have $14 million in dead cap because of Ryan Suter and Zach Parise, <laughs> but I'm not somebody that likes to, to have the team that I'm covering buy out players because you just could utilize that cap in so many different ways. But at the same time, if the Penguins are going to get rid of Mikhail Granlin, and I think that that would be best. 
even if you trade him, you're going to have to retain. Oh yeah. And you're going to have to hold that for the next two years. And it's probably not going to be over $3 million. Right? You're not going to open up over $3 million. You're probably going to open up $2.5 million. Make the move. If there's Oof. any of them, and we'll talk about a couple other names, this is the move that I make if I'm Kyle Dubas and Jason Spezza and whoever's pulling the trigger. Yeah, I'm looking through some of... Oh, man, his contract history is wild. Mikhail Granlin's contract history is nutty. So, in 17-18, coming off of a season where he scored 69 points in 81 games, sure, that's, that's a great number there. He earned a three-year contract for $5.75 million. Played all three of those. And then signed a one-year deal during the pandemic? Yes, December 23rd, 2020, for 3.75. That's, he turned into a 51-game season with 27 points. Weird, that was the weird season, though. But what part of that made him deserve $5 million for four? Because through that contract, when he signed it in July of 2021, heading into the 21-22 season... I mean, they dished him out the, the second season of that four-year deal. Mm-hmm. He scored 30, 64 points in 80 games the first year of that deal. Does that sound like a $5 million player to you? Yes. Yes? Okay. 64 points? That sounds like Brian Rust and, and Jason Zucker and, and Ricard Raquel. Give you the, do you want me to give you the point breakdown? I mean, I know it's 64 points, but it's 11 goals and 53 assists. Okay, I don't, I don't care. He's not a goal scorer. <laughs> that sounds a lot. I mean, I get Rust and Raquel and and Zucker are all goal scorers, but it sounds like a point scoring guy that can create offense. So yeah, it sounds like a five million dollar player to me. But it's he's that's not who he is anymore. Right, because then in total, last season of seventy nine games uh, between Nashville and Pittsburgh, ten goals, thirty one assists for forty one points. It, it, but also, we look at the last 21 of those and go, that's a goal and four assists. Correct. It, the majority of that work was done in Nashville. He was not a fit in Pittsburgh. And it's hard to judge based on 21 games, but it's 21 games that shouldn't have happened. I mean, with the cap space the Penguins had available, yeah. it would have been better if they just did nothing at the Correct. trade deadline and would have just left that $5 million in cap space. Could you imagine heading into this offseason? Yes, albeit with one less forward under contract, with $25 million instead of $20 million, you'd feel a lot better about the Pittsburgh Penguins situation. So while, yes, I personally would buy out Mikhail Granlund if I was them, I will say, though, I don't think they're going to. Okay. Something about them tells me that Kyle Dubas is going to look at this and say, I can either work around that contract or I can get rid of it and get half-decent return. And by half-decent return, I mean not have to trade away assets just to get him off the books. He'll probably have to eat some of that salary cap, but at the same time, eating $2.5 million for two years, is that better than eating one point eight for three on top of one that you're already eating another $900,000, basically a million? It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a decision to make, but something about it to me feels like that's not going to be the decision that Kyle Dubas makes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll see. I, what, what's even nuttier about his, about Cranlett's past season, he was a minus 15 overall. He was a plus one in Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's what happens when you go from playing 
on a team that for the most of the season was not good to going on a team that for the most of the season was volatile, but still better off than the Nashville Predators were. Oh, isn't that weird to say? Because they ended in pretty much the same exact spot. Yeah, but post-deadline, though, I, I mean, again, people will harp on the Pittsburgh Penguins for some of those games that they lost. They really only lost the most, I mean, they lost the most important games. But they won the majority of their games after the trade deadline. They just yeah. They just had to go up against the New York Islanders who were winning games and the Florida Panthers who were unbelievably hot down the stretch. When was the trade deadline again? March, early March? March 3rd, I believe, something like that. But the Pittsburgh Penguins were pretty good post the NHL trade deadline, hence the reason Mikhail Granlund. Plus, he wasn't playing that many minutes. He was playing top six minutes in Nashville. He was playing bottom six minutes on the Pittsburgh Penguins and certain games where he was on the bottom line. I mean, the guy was utilized much less. Uh, but I said the Penguins were nine, ten, and two after the trade deadline. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the last game against Columbus, I just basically ignore. But yeah, I guess they were. Nine, I don't 10, know. One? <laughs> no, like I, I just, I, it felt like they were much better post deadline than that. Well, honestly, I'm going to totally and respectfully disagree with you, just because that felt like the worst part of the year. Just because it uh, yeah, also felt like know. the inevitable was coming. The inevitable was there. There was no help at the deadline. We had fire Hextall chance before the deadline. Then the deadline happened and things just got worse. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know what I'm thinking of then. Like, I don't know why I thought that they were much better than that post deadline. I mean, it might be because around the deadline, they won a couple of games and it felt like, could, okay, even though they didn't get much help, they're going to get better. But uh, I don't know why it felt like they were much better than nine, ten, and you said nine, ten, and two. Yeah, it could be that there was a Jesus. couple of statement wins in there, like that beating might the be Rangers it. in overtime before losing to them twice in a row, beating that the Avalanche, be beating the Capitals in a very important game. That game felt like a playoff game to be <clears throat> to be it fair. Did. They blew out the the Flyers and, and looked every bit of team that should be in the playoffs at that moment, like taking care of the bottom of the league. But then of course, what they lost to the Islanders. They obviously everybody remembers. They lost to the Blackhawks and lost to the blue jackets in the final week. But how about after beating the Rangers, you go on a four game losing streak. Like I said, you made a, you made a statement when beating the Rangers in overtime. And it was a great game. Playoff vibes. The entire thing was in, not in the pain with favor, but it seemed like, okay, this team can do something. And then you go on a four-game downspout, That's losing right. to the Canadians, the yeah. Rangers twice, and the Senators. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Those, I feel, we don't have to go through the last however many games of the season, but it feels like a lot of the losses just blended together because don't forget about, yeah, there were so many. There were so many bad losses. I remember now because uh, I had an entire episode on it. They lost every Tuesday game, and it was bad every single game go. on a tuesday they just didn't show up there you go i mean it's... if i if i didn't show up to work every tuesday I, i'm pretty sure i'd get fired so hence you know hextall and burke but we, we lose an episode a week of the show honestly yeah you'd, you'd have much less content uh if we stopped doing tuesdays but uh regardless uh let's move on i was i was way off base on that my bad um, that's okay again Maybe just trying to forget what happened last season, although we should not. Uh, but other potential candidates, Jeff Petrie has two years remaining on his contract at $6.25 million. That buyout would end up being four years as well. The first year would be $3 million. The second year would be $4.5 million in dead cap. 
Years three and four, a little bit of relief there, $1.25 million. So, again, Jeff Petrie, however, is not as bad as the other two that we've mentioned. I don't think that would be worth it, although it would be nice to, in, in two years, have $5 million. I mean, I guess in two years, if you have him play, you have $6.25 million off the books. Uh, yeah, it's you. I just play that contract out. That's that's yeah. such a harsh penalty to take. And he, I mean, sure, it's a modified no trade clause. Maybe you find a team who's willing to take in an aging veteran player like him to bolster something on their blue line that they maybe need. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It. Jeff Petrie came into the organization, and I think we thought positively of it at first, mm-hmm. thinking, okay, he's going to drive this, he's going to bring that. He's also going to be inevitable injury relief whenever Chris Letang goes down or just the Penguins being the Penguins. Everybody's hurt again, LOL. Um, he ended up being one of the guys that got hurt, though, so that hurts. The only, the biggest downside of him coming in initially that we saw was his contract. It was his number. That's a, He's the highest-paid defenseman on this team. He is. And that's not good whenever you consider the age of 35 and not living up to expectations in the first year and much like Jeff Carter likely not going to do it again because of his age and because of the miles he's put on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of money to put onto a third line role if you need to, but damn, you might just have to do that. There's hard decisions to make with this one too. It's he's playable. It, it, here's the thing of the guys that we're discussing. He's the most playable. He, He's the most playable. He might be the one you utilize the most. Yeah, and he's going to be a guy that goes on power play too. He's going to be a guy that kills penalties. He's going to be a guy that plays, I mean, albeit not much last season. He will play more physical than most of the players on the Penguins' blue line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, you know, when you look at what's available out there on the market and the other holes the Penguins have to fill, I feel like a broken record saying that, but it's true. The Penguins have a lot of holes to fill. Um Jeff Petrie, who are you going to get to replace him? And are you not going to end up like are you going to end up spending more than six point two five million dollars? Because if that's the case, you you have to utilize the cap space you have in other areas. So you can't spend more money on a position uh, that's already you know costing you a lot of money. Um, so the only defenseman that I can think of off the top of my head, because I don't have the list in front of me, and and we don't need to get into it, but the only defenseman that I think is worth uh, coming in, and he's a left shot defenseman, and that's Ryan Graves. Uh, so there's not much available on the market. John Klingberg does not pique my interest all that much. Uh, so no, I, I again, Jeff Petrie, that's an expensive buyout. Um, I don't think the Penguins make any buyouts personally. I mean, we can go through all of these. I don't think they buy anybody out of their contract. I think Kyle Dubas looks for other avenues and in, in ways of getting cap flexibility and figuring out the roster. I don't, I don't think he buys anybody out. You could clip this if you want. It'll probably be old takes exposed and like two days the way that my luck yeah. goes but like 24 uh, hours <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see how that goes but I, I don't think it happens and specifically not with Jeff Petrie but uh, yeah, the Jeff, last player Jeff, sorry go ahead no you're just Jeff Petrie doesn't seem likely it's he's a playable player and you know maybe I mean he's also a, it's 6.25 you don't want to retain on that because you're likely not getting all three million retained if you're retaining you may as well just buy him out if you're trying to if you work a trade out somehow but maybe he becomes a useful enough defenseman this season and it becomes a trade bait at the deadline. You never know. Maybe, but again, uh, I I don't think he was great last season. Uh, I certainly don't think looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, that trade was beneficial for the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
Uh, but I don't, I don't hate the prospect of watching him play for the Penguins another season. It's not, no, not at all. like we said, it's not as bad as, as, as Granlin's situation, as the Carter situation, or even as the Jan Ruda situation, as we'll talk about here. Uh, Jan Ruda has two years remaining on a $2.75 million a year contract. His buyout would also be four years, uh, sensing a pattern here. First years, or first two years of it, will be little over $1 million. The last two years of it would be $833,000. Do you think the Penguins buy out Jan Ruda? No, I don't think so. Because once again, much like Petrie, he's at least a useful player. Um, and uh, honestly, a tradable deal if you find someone who's willing to take 32, uh, a 32-year-old. Yeah. Because he's doesn't have those clauses attached. It's not a super pricey contract. I mean, I'd say for we didn't see a ton of Jan Ruta this past season, but I feel like the number at least makes sense. You know, it's not egregious. It's only it's under three million. Um, I mean, how much do you play? Fifty six games. I mean, he's a defenseman, so I'm not gonna take the scoring stats into this. I just feel like the number is not egregious and can still be useful somewhere. He's also Here's tradable. My, he is tradable. Here's my issue with Jan Ruta. I don't think he, again. I'll say this again. Buyout? No, probably not. Uh, but trading? Yes, because who's your defense to start next season? Like, as of right now, it's Patterson Latang, P.O. Joseph, and Jeff Petrie. And then, what, Ty Smith and Jan Ruda with Chad Ruedel and Mark Friedman under contract again? Like, we're, we're at eight. Uh, the Penguins are at yeah. eight again. I mean, it's deja vu. So somebody's... We're stuck in this logjam, yeah. And listen, it's not any improvement from last year. And we all agree last year the defense was was bad. It was it was poopé. It was bad. So why would you run back? Yeah, you know, for all the I Ted the Ted Lasso fans out there, picked up on that. Uh, yeah, a little late. Good. Yeah, but no, I, I would I would say that you need to change things up. And Jan Ruda is the obvious case. I thought he was just an extraneous and kind of pointless deal to make last year because I trusted in, in Chad Ruedel or Mark Friedman. Uh, and going into this year, I think the same thing. Like, nothing against Jan Ruda, but, like, what is that contract there for? Do you really want to pay $2.75 million for a middle-of-the-road third-pairing defenseman when you have three more of them underneath him? I, I don't see it, so. Yeah, it, and let's not all, it's it's, yeah. We uh, we're just back in this damn log jam again. We never left we're, it. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we 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 look at it. and We go, oh, we're losing Dumoulin and Kulikov. There should be some spaces opening up. And oh wait, we had such a log jam that two people down doesn't relieve anything. No, like that's the issue here. And that's and I know it was Hextall's words, but. Xavier Olette was having a pretty good season before his injury in the minors, so there's another guy to kind of add to it, maybe. And Taylor Fadu didn't look out of place when he stepped in. Yeah, but we knew he was break glass in case of emergency. So was Xavier Roulette. <clears throat> he would have been, but at least he would have made more sense being 29, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, being part of that Canadiens team that ran to the cup final somehow? I don't know, you could ask Jeff Petrie. Exactly. He's got the knowledge with Jeff Petrie. Oh, he played six games that year. Never mind. <laughs> but still, he's got the knowledge of Jeff Petrie. I don't know. It's It was just another name that was thrown at us, and we went, oh, now there's another defenseman that is NHL caliber on this team. We have too many. 
Yeah. Um, it's a good problem to have, I guess, except for whenever the good guys like Ty Smith are getting shoved out of the lineup. Well, not only that, when your your defense is one in the bottom third of the league, regardless, then clearly yeah. your methods aren't working. So yeah. Uh, but regardless, four buyout candidates that we put out here, Horwat, I'll, I'll ask you because I already gave my answer to this uh, multiple times in this segment. Do you think that they buy anybody out in this period between tomorrow and June thirtieth? Mm, see, it's I'd have to. Ooh. Do the Maple Leafs have any buyouts sitting on their thing? Let's see. <laughs> Just because you gotta figure who who it is up top too. Yeah, uh, obvious. I mean, yes, I understand that, but at the same time, it's very different situations. Yeah, as of right now, at least the Maple Leafs do not. So it doesn't seem like in the mo- in the last couple of seasons, Kyle Dubas hasn't bought anyone out. Um, I would have to say yes, though. That Mikhail Granlund contract it might turn into an anchor. And yeah, we have the twenty million in space right now. It could go up to twenty one million in space. I mean, what does it jump to again? He's down to about a million in his first season. First season would be 833000 So you'd save just over $4 million on the cap this season. Suddenly you jump to $25 million in space. It's, I mean, we're nickel and diming here. Mm-hmm. But, hey, for what it's worth, that's something the Penguins have done for a very long time. And that's something Kyle Dubas did for a very long time in Toronto. Yeah. So nickel and dime this team out if you need to. Um, just prepare for that small jump it might take, uh, the salary cap that is. Be prepared for a small jump, nothing huge. I mean, that was kind of one of his downfalls in Toronto was he signed the, signed those four guys and then a pandemic happened and the salary cap didn't go up. Uh, but he's learned from that mistake, right? Yeah. And that blindsided everybody. That blindsided everybody. I mean, you can't, you could not have prepared for that. Right, but now you have to. But now you kind of changed your ways to prepare for that number, that eighty-two. Is that what it is? It would 82? be go up to eighty-three and a half million. Okay, so you're holding on to that number. You're just expecting it to stay there. You're planning for that, and you're going from there. Ron Hextall had his flaws, but when he said we want to keep at least two million dollars in cap space, I mean, yeah, he didn't do it. But that, that's a good plan. That's a good plan. I like that idea. Now execute that somehow. Somewhere. Yeah, give yourself room to breathe. I mean, again, I I feel like that. Like I agree with you. That's a good plan. But I think that's stating the obvious. And Ron Hextall was the king of stating the obvious and, and treating it as if he was making revolutionary statements. Uh, but we're gonna take a quick break. Bio period starts tomorrow. We'll see uh, if anything happens with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we'll be back here to talk about it on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. But we're gonna take a quick break. When we return, Doctor Dubis is in session. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. A couple of fun stories to close out this episode, of course... The Penguins' new president of hockey operations is now a doctor. Kyle Dubas just received his doctorate from Brock University. Horwat, all this tells me is it's going to make it much harder for fans to argue that they're smarter than him later this season when it inevitably happens and he makes a move and people say, oh, that's stupid. He can say, yeah, but I'm a doctor. So you can't call me stupid. Kyle Dubas is probably one of the smartest people in this league. 
Um, it's really, that's so fun to see that he's a doctor now. Um, and actually, I think I have to, I'll have to see if there's a video of this. I'm just kind of looking into it a little more. There is a Toronto Sun article that's just titled, Kyle Dubas tells Brock Grads, never doubt a job you love. Um, well, guess what? You have a new job that you might love. Yeah, yeah. All, all I also know, too, is anytime there's any rumor this summer about a player being on the trade block that I personally like, it's just going to be a quote tweet paging Dr. Dubas. Very yeah. easy, very simple. I mean, laid it right up. It's, it's laid right there. You know, it, it's cheesy, but that's me. I'm cheesy. Oh, TSN has the whole video? Let's go. I had never been fired before. Dubas shares lesson on Leafs from Leafs departure. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a fun watch. Yeah, so it's... It's cool seeing that uh, Kyle Dubas is a smart man and gonna maybe op- maybe opens up a little bit about that firing to some college graduates. Hey, it's much better than the the speech we got from our co- our college graduation, where the guy was basically celebrating the fact that he kicked homeless people out of a McDonald's. I don't even remember who spoke it was- at our college graduation. I had fireball shots in my pocket. Okay, whatever the rever- oh my god, <laughs> whatever the reverse. Uh, the inverse of inspiring is he did that for everybody in attendance that day. Literally everybody was like, why is this guy up there speaking? Who let this man in front of a microphone? It was, it was horrendous. And it's funny too, because the college that we went to, some of the speakers, the guest speakers were actually pretty good in years past. We get up there and the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I kicked them homeless guys out of McDonald's, and now that McDonald's is closed. And I'm like, this is what you pride yourself on. This is what you hang your hat on. Some people. Jesus. Uh, But somebody, yeah, anyway, uh, some people can hang their hats on three Stanley Cup championships. Jonathan Quick being one of them. Sidney Crosby being another. Chris Kunitz can uh, say he has four. But now Phil Kessel is a three-time Stanley Cup champion. Even better than that. He threw some shade at the Toronto Maple Leafs media while he was doing it. He might not have played a single second in the Stanley Cup final, but he still got out there and still made headlines with the Stanley Cup champion hat on, the the scarf that they all got this year. Yeah, Phil Kessel is that dude once again. Mm -hmm. Good on him. He played all 82 games during the regular season too, so automatically getting his name on the cup for a third time. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No arguments there. Sure, his skill is declining, but that's going to happen when you're 35. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plans on playing again next season somewhere, so that's good. Uh, and good on Phil Kessel, regardless of how much playing time he got in the playoffs or not. He's He was a fan favorite in Pittsburgh. I, I'm sure he's a fan favorite everywhere he goes. Yeah. And it's... the <laughs> Phil Kessel's just the man. It's, it's <laughs> awesome to see him win again. Uh in no matter the sense and say what you want about Vegas winning or not. It's cool that they did it the way they did it somehow, despite them being kind of not a great organization at certain times, but they were able to bring in Phil Kessel and get him a third ring. And that's all you can, you can uh, give them love for that. Yeah. And the one thing that came out of that game also is, is a very iconic shot of them celebrating after the game. Of course, all the players almost made the shape of a heart. Uh, Phil Kessel mm-hmm. was the at the very bottom 
And while that picture is great, and you know Jonathan Marcheseau looking up to the skies in the middle of it is is, is amazing because he's the Conn Smythe winner. He was the MVP of the playoffs, uh, even though he didn't score the most points, which Jack Eichel did in his first ever playoffs, which is another great story. Man, they did my guy Phil Kessel dirty. His yeah. poor hairline, his poor yeah, bald spot was was the exclamation point uh, on that on that picture there. And he's probably like, "Come on, man! Like I didn't think that you were gonna be taking a picture from up there. I would have kept my helmet on." Ah, man, I, I looked at that and I was like, ah, "Poor Phil." It's like everybody on that team too has like a great head of hair. You look at like William Carlson, even Mark Stone has some nice flow. Jack Eichel has has the the slick shade shaved head on the sides. Jonathan Marshall says, obviously, you know, speaks for itself. But like, then there's, then there's Phil Castle, who was right next to Teddy Bluger in that picture, by the way. I don't know if you yeah, noticed. I, I saw the fifty-three arm. I couldn't tell which face he was, but oh, I could tell I mean, by the hair. Some spot, saying, Teddy, speaking, speaking of somebody else who has a good hair to hair, uh, Teddy, Teddy Bluger is on that had list. A hair at the beginning of the season, I, I haven't seen him much since, but. He always has, though. Even when he came into the league, you know, the, the absolute shave down to a stud on the sides mm-hmm. and then the great top. I mean, this is what we talk about once it gets to this point of the offseason, whenever we get to the 48th minute of a podcast, is I'm the bored. head of hair on the Stanley Cup champions. And and honestly, you know, good for Teddy Bluger, too. Are you still against a reunion of Teddy Bluger and the Pittsburgh Penguins this summer? Because he's going to be UFA. I think so. I mean, I don't. I, probably, probably. Just because there are other fish in the sea he's hit his limit i want to see more from certain guys and i want to see that change man want to see that change let's not retread that is just me and also (laughs) much like phil kessel it's not like he did much to show himself in the playoffs nothing against teddy bluger but i mean the the golden knights have one of the best fourth lines in the in the league and teddy bluger was not one of them yeah yikes so. I mean, I, I think he probably would have been the next man up there. But I would I mean, assume so, yeah. Oh, Nicholas, I mean, he's fighting for a forward position with Phil Kessel. <laughs> I would assume Bluger would have came in before Phil Kessel at that point. Here's the funny thing. If you would have told me two years ago, maybe or maybe the last year that Kessel was on the Penguins, that both Kessel and Bluger would be healthy scratches on a cup team and just, and just said that, I'd be very confused. I'd be very confused. I'm in reality. I am very confused. That was a weird Stanley <laughs> Cup, but it was yeah, it was a little strange. I I was you know I put it out there yesterday. I was disappointed in not the result. I wanted Vegas to win. I predicted Vegas to win, uh, but the fact that it happened in five games and you know you never want that to happen when the other team is injured and and boy were the oh. Florida Panthers completely injured. I mean, <laughs> Sasha Bar not Sasha Barkov, uh, Aaron Ekblad was basically the guy from SpongeBob who whose bones are made of glass and he can't he can't do anything. How about Matthew Kachuk? Well, yeah, Matthew Kachuk had a broken sternum, which is ridiculous, but I mean, what did they say about Ekblad? He broke his foot in the first round series against Boston. He separated his shoulder. It popped out like three times during the course of the playoffs. And he had other broken bones. And he had to pass concussion protocol multiple times throughout the playoffs. Like, why was, I mean, I get it. Listen, it happens every year. I'm not going to say why. We know why. These players don't want to come out of the lineup. They they have to play, according to them. But that man should have been nowhere near a sheet of ice. I mean, yeah, I mean, neither should have Kachuk in reality. I mean, he needed help getting out of bed. Are yeah. you put, putting your pads on? Are you kidding me? Like, 
And the way he plays too, with a broken sternum, how are you going to lay a body check or even absorb any type of check? To anyone listening, you want a real fun game? Go back and find the episode that I said years ago where Matthew Kachuk was one of the most electric players in this league for multiple reasons. I wanted to get back to that at some point. I wanted the series to go a little longer so I could bring that back up. And I wanted wanted it to be because of him because he's such a talent on the ice. He's got the off-ice charisma now. I mean, he was in whatever magazine. I forget what it was now. Um, Doing that NBA crossover stuff. He's he's what Connor McDavid should be, just not as skilled. Really. Right? You want the face of your league to be the guy that they plaster everywhere. Matt Kachuk's a hell of a face to have for your league. He's just not... He's just not the Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby level of skill. He's also playing in Florida, which doesn't help. But, I mean... I don't know, but, man. For, the last four Stanley Cup finals, the team from Florida has been in it. <laughs> come on. But it's... Uh, what do you mean, come on? It's the truth. Florida, no, is, right. Florida hockey is growing. And this is going to do tremendous things for their fan base uh, in Sunrise. It should. Yeah, it should. But I'm just saying, like, go back and find that episode where I said Matthew Chuck is one of the most electric players in the league. Because he still is, and he very well proved it, thanks to the Penguins losing to Chicago. Yeah. Well, way to end it on a somber note there. I don't know if I can go on after that. So you know what? Between that and the fact that it's 52 minutes long so far, uh, we're going to call it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We will be back next time talking more things. Penguins, maybe a buyout. Uh, Horwat believes it's going to be Mikhail Granlund, if anybody, I agree. Uh, but I honestly don't think that there's going to be a buyout, personally. Uh, that's just my own opinion. Uh, we'll have to see who's right and who's wrong and who gets to take a victory lap. Uh, mine just will have to wait till June 30th. Yours could be as <laughs> early as next Tuesday uh, when we get together for another episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. But that's going to do it for this one. We'll see you guys next time.